The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Employment Law Show with your pal Andrew Goldberg, ready to uh, to take off. Termination of employment, setting the record straight. We'll cover that today, and if we have time, workplace harassment and how to handle it. That is all ahead. So there we go. Week that was. Uh, Andrew, how are you, pal? What's going on? I'm well. It's uh, beautiful outside, which is great for a change. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. We're getting there. Feels like yeah, we're yeah. turning the corner, kind of. Uh, well, we'll see. It's still cold, but uh, yeah, we can hope, right? It's it's on the way very shortly. But uh, week that was, brother. What uh, what's happening? Well, uh, I had two instances of the same thing happen this week, which is uh, usually a sign that I should bring it up on the show. It's typically what I go with. Um, the, the same thing happened twice. Essentially, uh, it involved two individuals who were injured, one injured at work, one injured off work. Uh, not that that's overly relevant for this uh, story, but what essentially happened was because they got injured, they were forced to take time off. Uh, they couldn't do their job. They couldn't work at all for the beginning. But, you know, lo and behold, as is the case, they went and sought treatment and continued to get better and continued to improve to the point where they were able to return to work, respectively, each of them in their very different jobs. And um, they told their employer, hey, employer, I'm ready to come back. I do still have some issues. I'm not 100%. Uh, you know, one guy had some lifting issues because of his back, but, you know, lifting wasn't a huge part of his job, just a very minor one. And then the other one had some issues with sitting and standing. And they said, respectfully, look, uh, you know, I'm ready to come back, but you guys have to work with me and uh, just accommodate me and just make sure you help me out in these areas. Mm-hmm. And in both cases, the employer told them, Uh, Each employer said, look, we're not ready to have you back until you're 100% healthy. So you stay off. And when your doctor writes us a note saying you're 100% good to go, no issues, uh, we'll bring you back. Wow. And um, as you know, and and as we've talked about on the show countless times, uh, that is absolutely not acceptable. Uh, but when you're an employee and you're in that situation, it, it might it might seem legitimate. You're like, okay, yeah, they want me, they want me 100. percent Okay, I'll wait it out. Um, but no, the employer has to accommodate you. If you if you have some issues that need accommodation, if you know if it's as simple as you stand up and walk around every 20 minutes, and and for the other individual get some help with the lifting activities, the employer should be letting you back. And if the employer doesn't let you back, you could treat that as a termination, right? Mm-hmm. So. The big thing with both of these individuals was helping them, you know, correspond with their employer and say, listen, I expect to be back to work by X date. I can do my job. What's going on? And uh, in one case, they did have him back and the other they didn't. So now that individual can go go after a severance package. That duty to accommodate extends pretty far. I mean, the, you know, the employer really has to, it really has to be, you know, off-putting for them not to be able to accommodate and say, you know, we can't do it for you. You've got to stay off till you're better. I mean, for the most part, they've really, the threshold's pretty high, right? Yeah, the, the threshold's uh, amazingly high. So yeah. from, a, from a legal perspective, it's called undue hardship. I don't yeah. know what that means to anyone on the, on the line, but really you're, you've hit the nail on the head. It's a very, very high bar. They have to go through great lengths uh, to accommodate you and uh, make sure that you can try to do your job. Uh, interestingly enough, like a quick point I'll, I'll bring up to people who are listening. So for the one individual, he had issues with uh, lifting, like he couldn't lift more than a certain weight, right? Okay. 
Part of his job involved lifting, but it was maybe five minutes out of his eight hour day. And he, and his point was, you know, I can't lift more than 50 pounds all day, every day, or for more than half an hour, an hour, but for that five minutes, I can do it. The issue though, was the doctor on his functional abilities form saying what he could do or couldn't do, just put an outright uh, blanket restriction saying, you know, this guy can't lift more than 50 pounds. Right. So what he had to do was go back to his doctor and, and have it, had it become more detailed and say, you know what, doctor, I can't lift more than 50 pounds, but that's for an extended period. I can do it for five minutes. Can you test that out and, and see what you think? And the cool. doctor agreed, yeah, you can do it for five minutes. So once the doctor changed the form, uh, that employee should have been able to go back to work. So a big thing for those people out there, if your doctors are filling out forms about what you can and can't do, make sure it's detailed. Don't have it just a general... Uh, blanket statement when that's not really reflective of the situation because that could impact whether or not you can return as well. And again, the, the threshold for this, the larger and the more, uh, you know, the more resources a company has, the the greater the threshold. I mean, there's a there's a high threshold for even a mom and pop shop not to accommodate, but you know, the bigger the bigger the company, the more resources they should be able to accommodate to a greater extent, right? Yeah, that's 100 percent true. I will say though that. You know, the economic impact of accommodation is not one of the, you know, more heavily weighted factors. Like it's going to be something like safety first, right? If, you know, if, if you're looking for accommodation, you know, the one example I always use is, you know, until we have some, you know, very good technology, you can't have a blind pilot necessarily, right? So <laughs> if you're blind and you need accommodation and you want to become a pilot, you know, if you don't have technology that will allow that individual to do the job safely, you could discriminate against that person because of the safety of the passengers, right? So that's always going to be a huge uh, prevalent issue. But sure. when it comes to money, just because something's expensive for an employer doesn't mean that they're going to get off the hook unless the cost of what you need um, it, like, would put them under, essentially. It would have to be so inordinate like insignificant of a price that the employer could say, we wouldn't be in business if we had to do this. Want to get into this termination of employment, setting the record straight. Point number one, your employer can, can let you go even if they don't have a good reason. A lot of people don't think that, right? Uh, a lot of people don't think that. And, and no matter how long we do this show uh, and, we, it, and we, you know, we put ourselves out there to try to educate people on their rights, that's one question that we get more often than any is, you know, is this a wrongful dismissal? I was let go. I didn't do anything wrong. They're even admitting I didn't do anything wrong. Like, how can they do this? Right. right. Um, and the one thing that people just need to understand is an employer absolutely does have the right to let you go for any reason. Um, other than some reasons that we'll get into later. For the most mm -hmm. part, they can let you go. There's a cost of doing that. And that cost is you get a fair severance package. In the meantime, termination of employment, setting the record straight. Your employer can fire you, uh, can't fire you simply because they don't want to accommodate your disability, which is just what we talked about moments ago. And the threshold's pretty high. And if 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 someone finds Andrew that their employee still won't budge, is that the is that the point where they reach out to you? If, sorry, if their employer doesn't budge with respect to bringing them back, or yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the earlier, the one thing to keep in mind is the earlier that people reach out to us, the better. Because if we can get involved at an early stage and make sure you're doing the right things and saying the right things and not doing the wrong things, mm -hmm. we can help you way, uh, way more effectively than not. So, yeah, you do want to uh, 
get ahead of it as, as much as you can. Wayne, first up, how are you, pal? I'm well, how are you? Good, sir. What's uh, what's on your mind? Yeah, uh, quick question. Can an employer change the commission structure for sales halfway through uh, your employment? So can, do you want to describe generally what the change is? Yeah, for uh, hypothetically, we'll say. Uh, yeah, hypothetically. The agreed, the agreed uh, commission structure was, we'll say, uh, 3, 5, and 10%. Now they say because of miscalculation, it, it, it's now 1%. Okay, so they're going from a 5 to 10 to a 1? Correct. Okay, the overwhelming odds are no, your employer cannot do that. Okay, so if the employer, you know, it wouldn't be any different than if you made a base salary of $60,000 a year, and then one day your employer came in and said, you know, Wayne, we're going to be paying you uh, 48 starting tomorrow, right? So it's no different, okay? At the end of the day, there's going to be some things that I would have to look at. You know, if you signed a contract uh, that outlines your commission structure, perhaps there's something in there, some language that would let them make that change. Uh, but it, that, obviously, that's something I'd have to review. If there's no contract, um, you could very likely treat that change as a constructive dismissal. Uh, another moving part would be how you know, what is the dollar value of that change? That's something we'd have to look at too. So there are details to look into before you make that decision to do anything. Uh, so if you want to look into this further, uh, feel free to give us a call so we can, you know, parse out exactly what's going on in your specific case. But at a very general level, uh, absolutely not. An employer cannot uh, just cut your commissions like that. Last question, if I may. If, sure. um, you, if you decide to proceed, that could certainly disrupt the uh, the relationship between myself and the employer, correct? If I, if I push it. I mean, that's constantly a struggle between people trying to pursue their rights in the workplace. That's going to be the same thing uh, for everybody, okay? So you're going to have to weigh the pros and cons. If you really like your job and you if you appreciate that the employer is struggling, uh, you know, maybe there's there's things you can do to accept it for a bit, um, but you want to communicate the right things. You want to say, look, I will accept it for a month or for two months, but I'm never going to accept this again. So there's still ways to go about it, even if you want to keep the relationship going and not pursue your severance. So it, it's just, there's things to think about, okay? I'm I'll be in touch with you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah no problem. Thanks, Wayne. Appreciate the call. Nicely uh, nicely done, by the way. Here's how you get a hold of uh, Andrew and his team. one 821 5900 We'll take a short break. Tony, Vince, Sean, Steve, guys, hang in there. We're going to get to you as soon as we come back. An employment law show just getting warmed up on a Saturday morning right here. Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Love it. Welcome back. Let's get right back to it. Tony, appreciate you standing by. How are you? Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, man. What's up? Question I have is uh, for a smaller business, I had heard or uh, someone pointed me to some documentation. Is it true that? If you have revenue under a certain level, I think it was two and a half million dollars that the company does not actually have to pay out severance. Mm -hmm. 
So Tony, that's a very good question. And that is why sometimes things get more confusing when you try to look this stuff up on your own than uh, speak to a lawyer. Um, right. So what you're talking about is, so in Ontario, at least, there's something called the Employment Standards Act, and that governs yep. your minimum severance entitlement, okay? So you can't get less than a certain amount of severance, okay? And when you're referencing that minimum amount only, there's two components. One is called termination pay and one is called severance pay. And so that's what's confusing is because that one is called severance pay. So with respect to that second piece, yes, a company has to have a payroll of two and a half million for you to get that extra one week per year of service. Okay. But when we speak about those entitlements, those are only your minimum entitlements. If there's nothing limiting you to those minimum entitlements, which is the case well over the, the vast majority of the time, then you're entitled to something called common law severance, or in other words, your full severance entitlements. And with respect to your full severance entitlements, that doesn't matter at all. You're owed the same thing as you'd, you'd be owed if you work for a large company, right? So that is the, that's the big part of what you're looking at here. You want to see if you're owed your full severance and the overwhelming likelihood is you are, in which case the size of the company makes no difference, uh, on anything, right? So, um, don't worry about that two and a half million thing that might not apply to you at all. Okay. No, that's, that's referring only to the ESA. That's, that's good. Cause I was just, yeah, concerned about, you know, like age and seniority and all those kinds of things factoring in if, if something ever did happen. Exactly, right? So when, when a company limits you to the ESA, you have to have language in your contract saying you get what's in the ESA and nothing else. And that language has to be, you know, the odds of that language being drafted correctly is extremely low, even if it was there at all. So we do that all the right. time. We get around that language for people because it's not drafted properly. In which case, once you get around it, all those factors, uh, you know, are taken into consideration, your seniority, your age, all that stuff as well. So, that's kind of the whole analysis. That's what you're trying to do here uh, is to see what you can do to get that full amount and as much of it as possible, right? Sounds great. Thanks so much for clarifying that. Oh, for sure. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate your time this morning. Enjoy the uh, the rest of your weekend. you have any further questions for Andrew? No problem. Here's how you do it. one 821 5900 for more of a lengthy private conversation. Help at employmentlawyer.ca works as well. Steve and Vince, let's get to it. Uh, Steve, you're up next, pal. Thanks for waiting. How are you? Thanks. Uh, so I have a little bit different question. I'm on the corporate side, mm -hmm. and I know that I'm going to run out of cash flow in the middle of the summer, even with the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy. I've only got about 10 employees um, that range from eight years of service to two years of service. I want to do what's right. So, but my question is, if I want to give time in lieu uh, or notice in, in lieu of severance, I'd have to start giving some of that notice now. Does that sort of work the same way if I give notice now versus uh, giving them notice right when we run out of cash? Yeah, I mean, the notice is notice, right? So if you give it now, it starts now. If you give it when you run out of cash, it starts then. So if, if you know, one of your employees between two and eight years, let's say you have one employee five years, and you speak to me and I say, well, based on everything, maybe that person's owed five months of, of severance, theoretically, right? Um, then, you know, if you give them their five months notice now, then 
that end date will be five months from now. If you give them that five months of notice in July, that end date would be five months from then being whatever, November or December, right? So then what happens if I give notice and then they, I, of course, they get the opportunity to leave or stay right until we run out of cash. Now, what happens if I give notice and then we get another contract that extends our available cash limit for another couple of months? Does... Do I have to, do I sort of rehire them on their on their termination date and does their severance does their time restart? That's a very good question. It's nice that you're thinking that way. Okay, so that's a, that's already a good a good uh, step in the right direction for you. So that's a that's something that's going to be more of a delicate situation because a big mistake employers make is they give someone working notice. And then they extend the end date. And more of the Employment Law Show is on the way. Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Stephen, uh, yeah, we're back. Thanks, pal. Thanks for uh, for hanging on. Go ahead. You were uh, just on the uh, on the other side of it talking about uh, you know bringing people back and so on and so forth. Andrew, what uh, what were you about to say before you uh, before you dropped out, my friend? Yeah, sorry, Stephen. I I think we just want to create some suspense for you here. That's right. No problem. Yeah, sorry about that. I don't know what happened there. Uh, Yeah, so you just have to be, when we left, we were talking about what happens if you get a cash influx and then you can continue them on, right? Right. Right. So you just, the one thing you have to be careful about is extending the notice period too many times or even any time. It has to be done very delicately because as soon as you start messing with the end date, uh, they'd have an argument that... uh, it's not uh, really notice at all, right? So there are a couple options with respect to what you can do. You can hire them on again after in, in a new new role, right? Like you can like rehire them at the end, okay? Um, and you can do that, you know, perhaps for a fixed term even, uh, but these things have to be done correctly. So it, it might make sense. I'd recommend, uh, you know, I know you're strapped for cash. I don't think it would be a huge <laughs> financial undertaking just to get a little bit of more pointed advice based on your specific situation. I don't think it would be overly costly, but it's something you might want to consider with respect to doing it the right way. Uh, yeah, you can hire them back at the end um, and just say, hey, I want you for a fixed term of two months or something like that. But in that situation, you have to be careful because if you don't draft a proper contract and then you let them go, they could have an argument that Oh, well, I get that full two months of pay if you didn't get, you keep me to the end, right? So things have to be done the right way for sure. Okay. Perfect. Thanks. All right. Well, sorry, Steve. He's, he was done anyway. I just I just smoked him, but there you go, Steve. You want to uh, you want to call through and have a further conversation with Andrew? Same thing goes for you. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. And Vince, thank you for standing by. Hi, Vince. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Thanks, guys, for taking my call. You bet. Um, so I've been, um, I'm a 100% um, commission sales rep, and I've been with the same company for 32 years. About two weeks ago on my uh, pay stub, um, there was an amount for a vacation pay, which I've never received before. So I emailed our payroll department, and they replied that in 2019 there was new legislation drafted and that commission employees were entitled to uh, vacation pay 
So I thought, okay, that's that's great. Um, then I received a call from our manager um, who told me that the uh, payroll department had made a mistake, actually, and I wasn't entitled to vacation pay, and it would have to, the, the, the funds would have to be returned. Okay, and how long were you getting those funds for? Uh, I've never received vacation pay before. No, 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 I know, I got that part, but once they kicked it in for you, um, how long were you getting it? Um, I just received it two weeks ago for the first time. Okay, so um, the, under, under the Employment Standards Act, at least, there's a, there's a very strong argument that, yes, you do need to be paid a, a commission pay, a vacation pay on your commissions. Um, so it's very bizarre that they would do that, uh, put it in and then take it off. And I mean, it, it's also possible that that's something you could look at going back uh, retroactively as well now, right? So it's possible that you can, um, you know, not only make an argument that they need to keep that vacation pay on your commissions, but that they they owe you now for at least the last two years uh, for not giving you uh, commission, uh, sorry, vacation pay on your commissions, right? So you could have a, a decent claim there. Um, and that's something if, if you certainly want to look into that uh, with us, uh, we'd definitely be able to help you out there. Okay, that's that's great. Okay, so yeah, feel free to give us a call. I mean, I'd have to look at the pay stubs and, and kind of look at what's going on uh, in your situation. Uh, but at a, at a surface level, I mean, I don't see why not. Uh, commissions are uh, considered uh, wages and um, wages uh, need to have uh, vacation pay on them. All right, thank you very much. Thanks, Vince. Appreciate that. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. one 821 5900 to reach out to uh, to Andrew after the show and help at employmentlawyer.ca. James, go ahead, man. What's up? So I was recently um, pressured to resign from my position based on a private encrypted chat that occurred in WhatsApp. Um, unfortunately, the chat did take place. Some of the chat took place during work hours during downtime. But um, ultimately, they cited me for workplace respect, code of conduct, and social media policies for uh, my resignation. So I was just wondering, and there was a lot of like pressure tactics and um, duress in order to settle this. It was all settled within a week. Um, they didn't really give me much time to research it. But I was just wondering if they had grounds to, um, you know, pressure someone to resign under that situation. Okay, so my first question is: So did you did, did you reach resolution and sign a release and all that stuff? Unfortunately, yes, um, because like I said, there was a lot of pressure tactics on the corporation side, and I was just wondering. Um, now that it's signed, obviously, there's probably not much we can do. Um, but I was just looking for um, advice if I would have had a chance in the situation that I pursued um, a lawyer. Well, there's a lot to consider. I mean. Was the conversation with another coworker? No, no. So it was just, uh, it was actually just a coaching group um, talking about um, resumes, cover letters, how to, you know, format applications and whatnot. And then there were some critical comments about a partner organization that um, has some correspondence to that corporation. And that's what they cited me on, being that it's a partner organization. Okay, so something that was said by you or by others in that group got back to one of your former employer's uh, partners in that, I guess, 
impacted their relationship? Well, it didn't so much impact their, I guess it did uh, per se, but um, somehow the organization got into the group. Like it's encrypted. You have to use a code to get in. But unfortunately people heard about this group and heard, you know, all the good coaching advice that was coming from the group. So it grew pretty large. So it grew up mm. to about 200 people. Um, but they, um, somebody in the group was associated with that partner organization, took screenshots and then shared it to the management of the corporation in question. Yeah. I mean, that's a tricky one. I mean, so on one, on one hand, okay. It's possible that if they say, look, you know, we have policies uh, at work with respect to just using WhatsApp or, or, you know, the like phone usage at work, regardless of what you're doing, right? Like if someone, if you have an employee and they're always on the phone texting their friends or on YouTube or whatever, uh, regardless of what they're looking at, what they're doing, as long as it's kind of personal, um, and, and they're not working and it's affecting their productivity and they're not putting the hours in, that could be an issue in, in and of itself. With respect to what was said in, in the chat, yeah, with, without seeing it, um, I think I don't think that that's as big of a concern as they're making it out to be. I mean, based on what you're telling me, I know you're being a little cryptic. You don't want to give away too much, so we'd have to probably get into the details. But uh, no, I mean, it seems like that was pretty genuine. The reason for the group, uh, things might be said that you know aren't liked by everybody, but uh, to say that. Uh, you know, it's a fireable offense. I mean, there's probably a reason that they were trying to force you to resign as opposed to not terminate you. And if they thought they had such a good case and everything was perfect, they would have just fired you for a cause and told you to take a hike, right? So uh, the fact that they even went down that road signals to me they understood that there was exposure on their end. And and like like you said, you said there was a lot of pressure tactics. Anytime you're pressured to do something, um, you know, the, the ra your radar has to go off and you have to realize okay, if they really had the goods, why are they trying to be so forceful in what's happening here, right? So when an employer feels they have, have you lock, stock, and barrel, they don't care. They're just like, goodbye. You're, we're, not, we're not doing this, right? Go do what you want. Come after us. We don't care. Like, you, we, goodbye. So uh, in this case, I would say you're, you likely would have had a very strong case for a wrongful dismissal. Uh, I'd have to obviously look at the messages and see what was going on and who said what, but uh you know, when you do things that do affect a relationship with a partner and it affects the company's bottom line, they might have, you know, some arguments, some like to stand on there, but uh, the overwhelming odds are, uh, based on what you're saying, I think you would have been fine. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I mean, I'd have to look at it, right? It's hard to say without knowing what exactly like the details, but okay. it, uh, you're saying it's a coaching group. I mean, it seems like a pretty genuine thing. So Exactly. So, I mean, now that there's, um, a release signed, um, what would be the next steps? Obviously, one of the clauses in that release was, you know, not seeking um, retribution for, you know, with the human tribunal laws and whatnot. So what's the next course of action if I did want to pursue it? So your next course of action would be to see if, you know, you'd have to contact me or contact one of my colleagues, and you'd have to see if the level of duress they put on you to sign that release is enough to make an argument that the release should not be enforceable. That's a that's a tough hill to climb. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. Um, it's not impossible, uh, but uh, once you sign the thing, the odds are that it would be enforceable. There are arguments to be made. So you know, I, I can't tell you that the likelihood is oh 
by all means, we're going to get you around that thing. We'll get the thing out of there and, and pursue a claim for you. Uh, but, you know, you have to co contact us. We need details to really give you the our, our true uh, opinion on the thing. So it's up to you if you want to go down that road. We're happy to speak to you, listen to you, uh, get a sense of what happened by all means. So if you want to call us, we're there. Okay, perfect. I'll give you guys a call. Okay. Thank you, James. Appreciate that. And uh, do indeed at least explore a little further. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the way to uh, to call Andrew and carry on or uh, help at employmentlawyer.ca. By the way, anytime you want uh, employment law information other than uh, making a phone call or listening to this show several times during the week, of course, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is a uh, is a great way to uh, great way to start. A couple more minutes here till we break back into our topic and that was termination of employment setting the record straight. And this one has been huge in the last year. We keep talking about it because we have to and we should be. A temporary layoff is it's essentially a termination, right? Uh yes. Right. And that definitely is the theme of uh the last probably 12 months exactly, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um you know, that's how employers responded to the pandemic. Uh, it's just an interesting thing because a lot of employers, when they started, uh, when, when, you know, in March of 2020, there was just so much unknown, right? Every, every company, uh, they had no idea what was going to come next. So it was a lot, of, a lot of people who were put on temporary layoffs. It was a knee jerk reaction. It was more of a preventative measure. An employer couldn't necessarily say, well, we know we're doomed for the next year, two years. We have to do this right now, but, they didn't know one way or another. So they're like, oh, let's throw all these people on temporary layoffs and see what happens, right? Um, and then what happens is the, their businesses pick up a lot of them and then they're, they say, well, you know, we're kind of getting by without these people. Let's just kind of leave them there. <laughs> we're not paying them and maybe they'll leave and go find a job elsewhere and, and then we don't have to pay them severance at all. So a lot of it's just a strategic move and that fell into employers' laps when they kind of reacted in the first place. and. You as an employee, you don't have to accept that. You don't have to take that uh, the vast majority of the time. So if you've been put on a temporary layoff, uh, the odds are you can treat that as a termination and uh, pursue a severance package because um, it's only in very limited situations where you've signed a contract with very specific language and, uh, and a couple other situations that an employer has the right to put you on a layoff. Otherwise, you know, I'd say over 90% of employees, like anecdotally, I just made that statistic up, uh, sure. but I would say, you know, based on my reviewing of cases, uh, the vast majority of the time, you can just treat that as a termination. And that's what we're doing uh, very often for people here. Little uh, little tiny break uh, right here. We'll get right back to it. You still have more time to pick up a phone, ask your questions. Like we've had a bunch already this morning. It's always a, it's always a smart thing to do. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca, and you can also simply go to employmentlawyer.ca to find links to our long running television show as well called the Employment Law Show. Go figure. We'll get back to it after a short break. Right here, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. 947-416-870-6400. That is the way you call through. Ask your questions. You still... You still have time. In the meantime, termination of, of employment, setting the record straight. Here's one uh, that we've we've been 
talking about this for 10 years since we started this show, Andrew. That is, don't go to the Ministry of Labor if you've been let go. Do not go there. They cannot help in this regard. Uh, precisely. They're, the Ministry of Labor, uh, they only can get you your minimum entitlements. So they can only get you what you're entitled under the Employment Standards Act, which is the least amount of money you could possibly get, right? So uh, if you went to the Ministry of Labor, you'd be giving up your full severance entitlements. And once you did that, you could never uh, pursue those again. So if you go to the Ministry of Labor and you've put in a claim, you could be foregoing tens of thousands of dollars. So uh, definitely a no-no um, if you're uh, looking to get uh, paid after term being terminated. Well, because it's like people figure it's the Ministry of Labor. This is a labor issue, so why wouldn't I naturally call them? That would be the knee-jerk reaction. First person you call or first place you call when you get let go. But, uh, yeah, I wish they would give you more advice and say, you know, thanks for stopping by, but go seek some legal help to uh, possibly, possibly uh, increase what you're owed, right? That's all they would have to say. I don't know if they do that or not, but it should be, right? Yeah, they are getting a bit better. I think uh, if if you go on the website uh, now, they have the Ministry of they have these uh, – informative kind of web pages that they break down the Employment Standards Act a bit. I think now they do put in, um, I saw recently in the past few months, a little caveat saying you could be owed more. Uh, so, so, so they're finally uh, getting up to speed. But uh, I mean, it's their business. That's what they're there to do. They're there to enforce the Employment Standards Act. That's their mandate. And uh, yes, they should. They could be a little transparent over the last 10 years and would have been helpful to people for sure. Um, I, you know, but we're, that's why we're here and that's why we do the show uh, to kind of give people their a different perspective on their full entitlements at law and not just what's in that uh, one legislation. 100%. Hey, John, thanks for uh, for standing by for a moment. Hey, John. Um, I have uh, an employee that's been with me for, for 10 years now. Um, over the, the COVID period, I've, I've just seen certain qualities of them that I, I just don't don't see it, uh, you know, working for me going forward. Uh, I want to let him go, and I, I just wanted to talk to you about the strategy. I know, I know the minimum employment standards is a, is a month per year. He's been with me for ten years now. Now, what, what would you suggest? Start with, you know, the the week sorry the week per year. Negotiate back and forth with him, and and see uh, if you get middle ground or, or uh, do the, you know. Yeah, we'll just go go with a month per year because at some point maybe I, if he ends up going to court, you'll end up paying him the month per year. What, what, what would be the strategy you would use? Okay, so the first thing is there, the month per year is not the minimum. It would be either a week or two per year is the minimum, right? Okay, yeah. Okay, a month per year is a month per year is is the is just um, a general kind of benchmark. It's not accurate 100% of the time, but you could use it as a benchmark to say that's maybe their full entitlement, right? Uh, with respect to how you go about it, it depends on your risk tolerance. It depends on how quickly you want it done, how much chance you want to take. I mean, uh, if you the lower the amount that you offer, the more likely that person is going to seek advice and say, uh, you know, this seems low to me, uh, what, what do I do? And then someone could come and fight you for it. And then uh, 
depending on how hard of a line you want to take, uh, it, you know, it could play out in a bunch of different ways. So the first thing is it just depends on your risk tolerance as an employer um, and how badly you want it done. And it also depends on how much this person makes, right? Because the yeah. cost of legal fees, uh, you got to compare that to their their severance entitlement. Um, so there's going to be a lot of moving parts. Uh, sometimes there's a, there's a sweet spot in terms of, you know, what to offer them that, it, it, you know, maybe they say, oh, it's not my full amount, but I don't want to really go ahead with this for this extra X dollars. So there's a, there's a bunch of ways to go about it. There's no right or wrong way. Uh, objectively, there's just a way that might fit for you as an employer and what your desired outcome is. So, I mean, in this situation, uh, we'd be happy to float some strategies by you and, and kind of let you know how we see them playing out. Um, and then what risk is associated with each. And, and then you would kind of have to just make up your mind with respect to what works for you. Yeah. So let's say, let's say, okay, he makes a couple grand a month. Okay. I, I offer him a week per year. So it's like 20 grand. Now I offer him the 20,000 and of course he needs to sign a release to, when he receives a 20 or does he, uh, do I give him the 20 and, and he, uh, uh, you know, it comes back later on and, 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 and signs the release. Like, how would that work? Exactly? So the how that would work is someone's owed their minimum entitlement. So how, depending on your payroll of your company, if you don't have the payroll of 2.5 min, uh, million, his minimum entitlement is eight weeks. So you can't have that person sign a release for those eight weeks. And then, but anything above that, uh, that's what they'd be signing a release for. And, and in a, you know, more often than not, you want to make the payment contingent on them signing the release. So of course you okay. want them to sign everything first. And if they sign, then you give them the money. Yeah. Okay. okay but it, but this is something that this is something that's not like there's, there's so much to this is not really um, in an ideal world. You're going to actually have a proper consultation and discuss these issues. Yeah. There's a lot of moving parts, right? Yeah. John, we're going to let you go. I got to get one more call in here before we before we wrap for the uh, the morning. So we'll do exactly that, Lee. And uh, my question is: um, Can the employer ask for a doctor's note with diagnosis and treatment? No, they cannot. Eh? No. Oh, okay. Uh, they can ask. The employer doesn't need to know that. The employer needs to know whether you have a medical issue that is limiting your ability to work. What that issue is, is not their business. If you have your own doctors that are saying, we can tell you employer that Lee has medical issues that require her to be off work, it's not up to the employer to say, what are those issues? Okay, if they insist, what can I do? You could tell them no. <laughs> like you, what, it depends what you want out of it, right? I mean, if you keep saying no and then they fire you because you don't give them your diagnosis, uh, they're going to be in big trouble with that one. I see, I see. Right. And then you can pursue a severance and human rights damages. Right. So they, but I mean, normally, sorry, normally if they, they, they fire you, they won't tell you it's a medical issue. They will tell you something else. Right. Okay. But if in the three days before being fired, they're emailing you and calling you nonstop about your diagnosis and then you don't <sighs> give it. And then one day, the next day you're fired while being on a medical leave you know, the situation speaks for itself, right? Like, I mean, people are going to be able to see through that. You're not even at work, right? So if you're off work on a medical leave, I assume you're off work. Are you off work? 
not yet, not yet. Not, not yet. Okay, so, I mean, if these conversations are going down, you work there for a certain number of years, and all of a sudden you're having these conversations about diagnosis, and you're fighting back and saying, no, 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 and then the next day you're fired, you just have to look at the timing of all of that, right? Employers are never admitting they're breaking the law. I've never seen an employer write to an employee, you know, because we broke the law and we really screwed you over here, here's a bunch of money. They're, like, they're never going to do that, right? Okay. Um, they're always going to try to pretend that what they're doing is right, but things speak for themselves. So the big thing you want to do, okay, is document this. Don't have everything over the phone. You know, if they call you and they tell you things, email them back right after. Hey, so-and-so, today you called me and asked me for my diagnosis. I'm not comfortable giving you this. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you stopped. Okay, 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 got it. Okay. Thanks, Lee. Good way to wrap the show for this morning. And you want to reach out any further and have a conversation. Sounds like you do. Uh, you know, give Andrew a call. Here's how you do it. one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is free, anonymous, and tons of information there as well. We'll catch you next time. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.